welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host Rebecca Roberts and each week we're going to be speaking to different guests about their take on how to engage a youth audience. I really hope you like it. and welcome to episode 18 of the Hear It podcast. Now this episode we're going to be talking about health messaging and behaviour change and how we can use the behaviour change framework to really drive significant impact to youth audiences. So we're speaking to Shoni Lynn from LIMPR and here's what she had to say. So hi Shoni, thanks ever so much for coming on the Hear It podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your podcast. Um, so tell us a little bit about your career and how you've landed up setting your consultancy, Limpia. So I'm actually from the public sector. I headed up um, the communications program at Cardiff University for the alumni relations and fundraising department for six years. So in that role, I established a very data-driven strategic comms function, which was focused on delivering organizational outcomes. And I suppose behavioral science was uh, the natural extension to that sort of approach. Um, And while at Cardiff, I led on a range of successful campaigns, which uh, was focused on delivering those tangible results um, from improving league table rankings to securing volunteers for student recruitment to enabling graduates to offer work experience and internships to students. That's the sort of campaigns that we worked on in higher ed. And I suppose setting up an agency was always in my tenure plan. I just didn't think I'd get there this quickly. Um, So I speak about the importance of data measurement and behavioral science quite a lot across um, industry events. And I've often uh, supported comms colleagues in applying this sort of methodology to their programs. However, the tail end of 2018, early 2019, I noticed there was um, quite an increase, uh, happily so, in the number of queries I was getting from comms pros who wanted to learn more about this sort of data-driven and behavioral science methodology. And that sort of made me realize whether there was a gap in a market for an agency that was able to provide accessible, robust data-driven strategic comms and behavioral science communications. And that was why I set up LINPR. And to be honest, initially, it was something I was dabbling in. And I, I use the word dabbling in uh, quite honestly. I was doing it part time whilst I was at Cardiff University. Uh, but very quickly, due to the interest from comms teams across the UK, it, within four months, I had to make a decision whether uh, I jump off a cliff, having never worked in an agency before, um, and, and sort of uh, make the move into agency world for the very first time in my life. And I decided, you know what, you only live once, give it a go. You know, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back in-house. Um, that was genuinely what I thought when I left. So I think I left in November, early November 2019, took Olympia full-time. Um, we ended up with quite um, a variety of interesting projects that we started working on. Um, obviously, the pandemic hit. Um, the pandemic had its own complications. We lost a lot of contracts that we were we were waiting on, we were hoping to secure, but the pandemic in some ways um, has been a, dare I say it, a blessing to us. And, and I think to the wider behavioral science sector, it's shown the importance of behavioral science and what it can achieve for organizations, what it can achieve for communications. So when I look back, I'll say I, you know, well, I look back, I, I don't look back, if that makes sense. I'm very grateful that I am happy that I took that leap into the unknown to start Lynn PR. And we work with amazing clients from the NHS to local authorities, 
civil service, housing associations, um, so much more. And what I what I'm really happy about, and I'm you know my team are uh, every day we talk about this and how we're adding value, how we're delivering intrinsic human value across all the projects that we work on. It just makes this job so much easier. And we're talking about influence and behaviour, specifically about you know youth audiences on the podcast today. And why is it do you think that so many campaigns just fall foul of actually delivering? So I think it's it's about understanding audiences on a much deeper level using data and behavioural insights. And so what do you want to achieve and what's the behavioural aspect to this? What are the barriers to that behaviour and why aren't people taking action? I don't think a lot of us ask that question, why isn't something working? But in order to get to the solution, we often have to tackle those barriers uh, so we can develop the right strategies that can um, overcome those barriers. So unless we know what we want, and now I'm talking about smart objectives, and use those objectives to develop the right audience insights using data and an understanding of human behavior, it's very difficult to deliver a campaign that can then create measurable change especially around youth audiences, it's really important to understand their reference network. So who influences them? How are they motivated? How do they consume information? Where do they consume information? All of these um, elements are really important so uh, we can develop the right messages that are salient to them so they pay attention and then they take action. Yeah, I mean, young people were really missing from that conversation throughout the pandemic and um, and have been stereotyped and then sort of blamed quite a lot in the media. Mm-hmm. And it was a doctor who was speaking at an event in Ireland, actually, from the World Health Organization. He was saying you know, young people need that engagement to you know empower them to make the right behaviour choices rather than just being told what to do. And what, what's your take on all of that this year? I completely support empowering people to make choices that improve their lives. That is the entire uh, spirit uh, of behavioral communications and indeed much theory. It's never about closing off choices, it's more about presenting them in a way that will help individuals choose the options that improve their lives. I think some of the comms around young, young people have fallen short, especially the focus around transmission. Earlier on in the pandemic, there was a lot of comms shared about how young people may not be as likely to contract the virus as an older demographic. And that sort of narrative results in complacency, you know, whether it's optimism bias or overconfidence bias. And once those behaviors or habits are set in, it's very difficult to change these, especially at the speed that we are required as communicators to create messages that create new behaviors. Um, And equally, behavior changes about context. So whilst young people as a group have been difficult to reach and persuade across the UK, regional and local context will impact on each narrative. It's so important to localize behavior change communications to understand audiences against the backdrop of their local context. There's a million dollar question, but like, how do teams you know, get it right when they're looking to influence behaviour? And particularly young people like avoiding that tokenism, like wheeling in a young person, hoping that will make their campaign work. So what are your kind of key points for success? Yeah, I think people often think of behavioural science, behavioural insights as this magic bullet that can fix everything. But really, uh, behavioural insights just help understand or help unlock how people make decisions. It's about understanding really how, as human beings, we make decisions. And some of that can be really hard to deal with because uh, the entire philosophy behind behavioural science is that we don't make most of our choices rationally. We make uh, we make a majority of our choices instinctively, irrationally, uh, using automatic processes and mental shortcuts that we've developed as a species over millennia that have that then result in their own cognitive biases that impact on how we see messages, how we understand messages, and how we take action. So, in, you know, so really understanding that human behavior and understanding what drives choices and decisions is really important to creating campaigns that work, essentially. 
Um, and as I said before, context is really important, um, as is framing. And framing and context in conjunction can make all the difference and really transform the emotional impact of messages. And it goes back to an understanding, again, of what specific behaviors we are trying to change, and then using academic models like Combi to understand the barriers to those target behaviors. Why aren't people taking action? And then using data and qualitative insights to test different hypotheses to see what works best with your audiences. So at Lynn PR, we never make assumptions. Uh, we're very proud of that. We have a lot of data insights across a range of audiences. We work across the UK, so we have developed um, data-driven um, insights on, on various sections and segments of the population. Um, but we, um, including youth audiences, and we use this alongside qualitative and quantitative insights to develop these behavioral hypotheses, which we then test with that local community in a randomized manner. And this is how we learn what works and what doesn't within that context. And only when we have those insights from our test phase do we then scale up and launch campaigns. And I suppose this approach gives clients so much more confidence because it takes away that sort of guesswork and subjectivity and you have the data right in front of you to see whether an approach or a tactic worked or not. Um, just before we jumped on the podcast, we were talking about almost like not over-promising because you can't control, you, you know, with the best in the world, you can ask people what they want, try and understand the audience, but you never really know until you've rolled everything out. And sometimes you have to have, be agile, don't you? And sort of, yeah reflect because sometimes a behavior change can it's have a lot of contextual points yeah, <laughs> before absolutely. it do one thing can't it absolutely and i think you know it's about uh, that real-time monitoring test learn adapt essentially is the motto of behavioral science and behavioral communications it's important to test it's important to learn from the test it's important to adapt your communications from your learnings but equally important to be agile and real time and monitor behaviors your audiences reactions and their perceptions as a campaign is unfolding to be able to optimize delivery and so at Olympia, again one of the things we always do for each and every campaign that we work on is real-time monitoring so we track each and every campaign on a daily basis we i mean we have intense levels of granularity in our segment segmentation and delivery and we track each of those to understand how messages are landing how uh, people are reacting because you know our reactions are influenced by our local context so for example over the weekend uh, all of this news around tier fours and lockdowns across the uk that will have an impact on how people see messages whether in public health or tourism or local or wherever that's going to impact how we see and uh, what we take away from messages that are uh, shown to us on our screens or whatever channel we use to deliver those so it's really important again to not just be agile but really be real time and learn and be able to quickly flex however whichever way you need to to ensure that you're continuing to optimize your campaign behavior is such an instinctive thing and we don't necessarily do what they say <laughs> well and also um this is this is uh, the biggest thing in behavioral science is the intent to action gap what we intend to do or what we say we want to do could be very different from what we end up doing and sometimes it's conscious so we say we intend to behave in a certain way even though we know we won't behave in that way because of the way we perceive our opinions within a social construct so we might feel our peers are behaving in a certain way so we then say this is how we will behave even though we might end up behaving in a different way and be fully aware that we would. Uh, there's also uh, something around um, uh, the observer effect. So really being able to, the less anonymous we are, uh, the more we tend to 
sort of veered away from the truth in some ways. So when we know we're being monitored, we're being watched, uh, we end up perhaps saying things that we think the person monitoring us would like to hear. So um, yeah, so I think that's the intent to action gap is really important. That's, that's why real-time monitoring really uh, makes a difference because you're not just listening to what people has, are saying and how they want to behave or how they will behave. You're monitoring how they are behaving in, in reality. And one of the things that I really enjoyed reading when I was looking through some of your case studies was around the approach you take to have sort of building that behaviour framework before you set out about the campaign and almost testing that kind of hypothesis, almost debunking a theory or an assumption before you get started. And yeah. that's a great part of a campaign, isn't it, to, at, the, at the very start to, to do that? Yeah, we have a very robust methodology at Lympia. We have a what we call the five-step framework to integrate campaigns. Uh, every single piece of work we do will start with research and insights. There will be a test phase and we will evaluate. Um, so, yeah, it's and, and uh, during that behavioral uh, hypothesis development, again, it's important to not bring in your subjective opinions, uh, use um, either data insights or literature review or qualitative insights or a mix of all of them to develop a hypothesis, which we then test to see whether it doesn't work or it does so confirm or deny. Uh, the hypotheses we've developed and then really use those data insights to scale up um, and, and honestly what that means is that we've, we've been going for a very short period of time but we have a strong track record of, tra of success and that's because of that methodology and really sticking to it for every single piece of work that we do. And it's important because I think particularly with youth audiences and you'll know from like higher education because a lot of people have been the age of the audience they're trying to engage with they make assumptions on their behalf and you know, your point around context is important because what you might have found relevant when you were recruited for university, it's not relevant now. And that context is so important because I think for young people in particular, those assumptions are made too much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, well, I, I think it's everyone, really. I think um, communications, colleagues and practitioners, and, and we are very creative people, right? And our instinct does uh, often pan out. And we do yeah. deliver against our instinct. And that's what makes us special. And that's why we do the work we do. But it's really important to test that instinct. And I think that's where it comes in. It's not, it's, even if you know, I mean, six years I spent at Cardiff University in that role, I knew my audience like the back of my hand. We had so much data insights and so many different segments. I still would never go in with an assumption because I knew that within 24 hours, context might have changed and they might behave in a completely different way. So it's about having that, I don't know, is it self-awareness? But I don't know, that that ability to uh, be open and say, actually, even though I know my audience and I'm a good communicator, that doesn't mean I'm my audience. And my audience's motivations, influences, desires, needs can change. And, you know, how am I using what they're telling me in a quantitative and qualitative way to inform what I'm doing? People are always going to be people. It's just about having that framework and, like, a steady approach to how you engage any segment of an audience but people do seem to worry when it's an audience they haven't done as much with yeah and you know let's figure out why why haven't you reached a certain pocket of your community why haven't you engaged with them we are currently uh, wrapping up a big project for uh, rospa where we are literally communicating with uh, motorcyclists across England and, and working out where messages land better across England mm -hmm. uh, and where they, where they don't to really understand where to target communications in a different way. If it's not working in a particular part of England, well, why isn't it working and how can we make it work? So, yeah, I think it's very important to not, perhaps not panic, but wonder how you can solve it with data and with strategy. 
is there a brand or a campaign that you feel does a particularly good job when it comes to engaging with children or young people? Oh my god, it's a really hard one. I'm not young anymore, Rebecca. <laughs> um, I I really don't know to be honest because, like I said, I'm not the audience. But I would think there are a lot of really exciting campaigns happening with the likes of Coca-Cola, the likes of Burger King, you know, where they really do impact. Um, and our, I mean, obviously, we, we should give a shout out to you've got a, a newsletter that you're amassing like a, a big audience list for. We do. Are there any podcasts or books or anything else that you would really recommend we check out? Um, yeah, there's a there's many, many podcasts and books and <laughs> uh, resources on behavioural science, really. I mean, um, the the starting point, I say this every, every way, is, uh, you know, your the book Nudge itself, which is by Richard Paller and Cass Sunstein, or also the book Influenced by uh, Robert Cialdini. Um, we have a newsletter, Cut to the BS, uh, which is on our website, uh, lynnpr.co.uk, which um, I think it's the sector's first behavioral science communications um, newsletter in the format that we're presenting it, uh, which is very much about educating communications and public relations practitioners on behavioral science tactics to use within their programs. Um, and also one of my favorite podcasts on um, Bayside is um, Choiceology by Katie Milkman. So that's an incredible, you know, they tackle a different behavioral science uh, topic, whether it's a bias or whether it's a, I don't know, a new piece of research. And it's, it's a really um, accessible, interesting podcast with great guests. Excellent. Well, thank you ever so much for coming on today. I've loved chatting to you. My pleasure, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for episode 18. I really hope you enjoyed that. Please do rate, share and subscribe to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Now, next week, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Emma Ross, who co-founded The Well HQ, all about how to work with women and younger women about hormones, periods, menopause and everything in between. It's going to be a fascinating one. 